evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson. I'm the managing editor of Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 144 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Publishing and Selling Activity Books with special guest Carl Beckstrand. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are with Carl Beckstrand, who is a five-time published author with 21 titles under his belt. Uh, Raised in San Jose, he has an MA in International Relations from American Public University. Since 2004, he's run his own publishing company, producing captivating stories, ads, and scripts. He has experience in high-tech, TV and radio broadcasting, film, and public policy. He's lived abroad, been a Spanish-English interpreter, and enjoys volleyball and kayaking. Uh, his activity books, Spanish and bilingual books, ebook mysteries, and nonfiction stories feature minority characters and have been lauded by national reviews. His work has appeared in many diverse places, including Children's Miracles Network, Biophotonics Magazine, Paper Crafts Magazine, the LDS Film Festival, and many broadcast outlets. Well, good evening, Carl. Good evening. I should let you know that I'm uh, in process of getting my master's degree. Um, so, not quite there, but I have about a year left to go. Well, good for you. That's uh, It's great to... Uh, Go back to school and finish off what you started some time ago, isn't it? Yes. It's been great to have book selling so that I can support my education habit. We're going to be talking today about activity books, as uh, Victor had mentioned. And I think before we go any further, for our listening audience, let's talk about what is an activity book. Well, the books that I've produced uh, involve activities that are hopefully geared toward getting the family together um, because family time is so much better than turning on the TV and planting your child in front of it. Um, so I have a cookbook for kids. I have uh, bilingual books that have pronunciation guides at the beginning for both English and Spanish. Several of my books are mini mysteries, finding and counting activities. Um, so there's a lot of different things that can involve more than one reader. And so what you're saying then, activity books are for more than one reader, um, more as a family or several children working at it at the same time. Is that sort sure. of what the, the basis is? Mm-hmm. Especially for families with the, the child that, that, that tends to whine, I'm bored, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, where you can, you can go into the kitchen and make something with them or you can um, learn some new words or you can find some clever things in, in the pictures of the books. You know, when you said this, I'm bored, I just had this horrendous flashback remembering uh-huh. my kids. I mean, they're like in their early 40s, but sitting in the back seat of a car, and we've been in the car for all of five minutes on a long trip, and it's like, are we there yet? Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm thinking, gosh, activity books, you know, that's, there's another purpose for them. And so when you're talking about activity books, is there a specific age group that... Uh, the kids sure. are more interested in it. Typically, the stories are geared towards ages two to eight. However, um, with the bilingual books, they can even be used for adult education, for ESL, for any, anyone learning another language because the pictures help 
um, you understand what the vocabulary is saying. So, but the books, like in general, when I'm talking about activity books, I, mm-hmm. you know, we're a book review service, and some of the books that come and they have, uh, maybe some have pullouts, maybe some have flips. Uh, you know, is there like a, a large number of different types of activity books that can be produced? Oh, certainly. I would say um, I bet each individual person could come up with a kind of activity that the next person wouldn't. So, um, yeah, anything that would involve the learner in more than just a picture book and more than just a story, although the story helps the learning part. Great. Um, let's talk about uh, marketing. Now, activity books, I'm, I'm guessing that homeschool is maybe a big market, but do you have ways to address, you know, public schools and uh, and church youth groups and uh, other types of outlets? Yes. In fact, um, you know, a lot of people think that uh, writing the book is the hard part, but but you bring up the really hard part, which is the marketing, um, marketing and distribution. I have agreements with a couple of companies. Uh, one is Broadart, and they distribute to libraries and schools, and the other is Follett Library Resources, or um, BWI Tidal Wave. And so um, that's where I get most of my orders for schools. But, of course, locally as well, I'll, I'll bring copies to schools and, and donate copies so that librarians um, can see what we offer. Um, and so students and teachers can also check those out. As far as homeschooling, that's, you know, again, part of the um, constant marketing challenge is finding those associations, you know, homeschooling associations or, or groups, um, which, of course, is much more productive on the marketing um, track than contacting individual parents who teach their children at home. That could be really labor-intensive. Right. Yeah, you want to maximize your coverage. So do you ever do, like, uh, in-school presentations or in front of groups of people or parents or teachers or clubs? I do. Kind of thing? All, all the time. Um, in fact, it's one of the, the better parts of being an author is going out and, and meeting readers and um, and inspiring um, families to to use these activities to to plan family together time. Um, but certainly, schools are a great um, venue for me to, to read stories and answer questions. Um, there's lots of budding writers out there, children and adults, and so it's fun to answer questions about how the story was created, what inspired it, um, how you go about getting published, things like that. It's a lot of fun. Okay, well, you've given a pretty good outline, but just walk us through, like, how a presentation would go. Is How long would it be? Would you start out reading the story and you end with Q&A, or how does it, how does it go? It really depends on, on the audience. Um, if it's, uh, you know, a group of second graders, I'll read um, my stories. I'll read four or five of the stories, and then I'll just open it up for questions because the kids' questions are are great fun. That's the most fun part about the presentations and um, hearing their comments about what they liked or what um, what ideas they got from the stories or the activities. With older groups, like if I were in a high school or an adult group, I would talk about um, writing and how a story comes to be, you know, how you um, develop your plot. You want to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, and then, of course, they have lots of questions about publishing and e-publishing and um, and then of course I can tailor my presentation sometimes I've done presentations for education uh, educator groups where I'm talking to a group of preschool teachers so I talk about 
um, nutrition, you know, snacks that they can offer uh, their preschoolers that are healthy. Um, or uh, last week I presented to a group of librarians, and so we talked about um, the importance of story in, in engaging learners and how librarians have the responsibility of finding that good literature and finding those good stories um, and sharing them with young people. So, so it really depends on the audience. Great. And I guess, you know, when you're doing something with kids, do you then you give them an order form to take home to mom and dad? Or how do you, what's the, the, the follow-up with that? Well, um, for schools, it's, it's easier if, um, if I send contact and order information to the school ahead of time. One, to get approval. Um, have to get the school's permission to do something like that. But what's nice about that is it's a flyer that um, teachers can copy and send home with their students before I even come. So those families that want to order books can do that before I'm there, and then the teacher doesn't have to have the headache of, okay, who wants this, and do we want to take time out of our day to, to place orders? Um, the other nice thing is for those students who can't afford a book or whose families uh, didn't choose to get a book is I always uh, make sure I let the class know that um, I've donated a book or two. They're in the library. You can check them out anytime you want. Oh, that's a really nice touch. I like that. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the Vigor distribution. You mentioned Brodart and Follett. Those are both wholesalers, and they probably, I mean, I've worked with enough wholesalers to know that they're mostly interested in taking orders, but you still have to drive people to them. Do you do, like, participate in their co-op marketing programs, or how do you how do you reach the people that Brodart is their customer? You know, I've been fortunate. Um, I think in in marketing myself to educators, um, including librarians, that is that's what dr- is driving the sales through Broad Art because I really haven't um, specifically said, um, you know, I haven't sat down and thought, okay, how can I get people to order from Broad Art? The orders just come, and I think it's a, as a result of my activities with schools and librarians. For broader distribution, boy, that is the big challenge. For example, Ingram, the big distributor wants you to have 10 titles, and if you don't have 10, well, you're kind of out of luck. But um, recently, Amazon has, well, they're pretty much taking over the publishing world, <laughs> but one of their offerings is outstanding. It's createspace.com, where you can um, set up print-on-demand books. So a customer orders a book at Amazon. It prints and ships right after the order, and you don't have to touch it. Um, but the nice thing about that is there are options you can opt into with Amazon to make your print-on-demand books available through Ingram and some of these larger distributors, which is a wonderful plus. It certainly is, uh, Carl. I want to go back into the inside of the book. And obviously, activity books have illustrations or pictures. And I wanted to have you talk about the importance of having those illustrations there and you know, some basics that need to be before you need to think about before you actually get an illustrator. Sure. Um, you, traditionally, um, the old publishing houses would um, get their author and then they would line up their own illustrator. And as publishing is changing so much these days, I, I am often asked, okay, how do you arrange this? If you're going to self publish, for example, through CreateSpace or if you're going to put an ebook up, how do you get an illustrator? And what I've done is um, I've joined some groups on LinkedIn, other social media, uh, where um, LinkedIn is the, is the primary one, where you can connect directly with illustrators. And I always tell them up front, 
you know, if I've looked at their portfolio and I like their work, I feel like it's creative and imaginative, I will approach them. But I'll tell them ahead of time, I'm not a big publishing house. I can't give you a big advance. But what I will do is offer them a percentage of sales. And, um, and that can start out small, but if you're, um, if you stick to the marketing, um, sales will continue year after year. My first illustrator, he's been getting royalty checks from me for seven years. But yeah, those illustrations are so important. Um, I'm sure many people will identify with my experience growing up. If a book didn't have pictures, I wouldn't give it the time of day <laughs> um, for so many years. And of course, I finally learned that, that text was pretty exciting too if you found the, a good book. But those pictures, um, Yes, they they require thought and collaboration and, and um, exchange with the illustrator where you go back and forth and build off of each other's ideas, and they come out so much more imaginative when, when you work together with your illustrator, unlike what publishing houses used to do, you know, when they would just assign it. Assign somebody to it, and it's definitely the illustrator and the author have to be on the same page. Absolutely. You know, otherwise it just isn't going to work. And especially you're talking about... Um, young children, you know, ages two to eight. I mean, by eight years old, they're already into chapter books, but those little ones, they can't read, but they can read illustrations and they can get the right. story, and especially if there's a parent or a family member involved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm sorry, I was just going to say that's what's so fun about mm-hmm. illustrations is there's so much you can in- incorporate into those. Um, you know, there's I have a book where the um, there's a bear that you have to find him in the different pages, or one illustrator surprised me by incorporating food into his images. He makes kind of collage work with torn-up photos and then paints on them. But what he told me just before we printed is that some of the images in the book are actually, you know, images he used to create a bumblebee or um, another creature. Um, they're actually made with food, pieces of food. And so oh, what we did fun. is, yeah, and it's just so fun now to tell students, if you look carefully, you can find real food in this book. And, of course, we put a key up on my website where they can identify it. It lists what's there. But it's um, just another nuance where there's something extra for the kid, kids to find. Well, and it's engaging them, and it's engaging their brain. And, you know, like you say, it's something that they have to find, and that's the purpose of these activity books, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's to engage, yeah. engage that child. So you as an author, how do you get the inspiration? I mean, it just amazes me. You must have this terrific imagination to be able to come up with an idea and you get the illustrator to be on the same page as you and create something that appeals to this little child. Like, well, tell I, me about it. Well, I think it. I'm blessed. I really um, <laughs> am fortunate. I, I have never experienced writer's block. I have just um, files full of ideas that I uh, am developing um, so I've been very fortunate to um, just have ideas come to me. And, of course, you're right. It, um, my own childhood is, is great inspiration. One of my books is called Sounds in the House about a dog who's alone and scared at night of the noises. And I, that came from my own childhood experiences. You know, you hear the water heater heating up as a child, and you don't know what that sound is, and you can imagine all kinds of scary causes. And so what Sounds in the House does is it explains the causes of those noises that scare people. Do you have children of your own? Not yet. Okay. And uh, so do you actually connect with children while you're writing the book? Creating the books. Absolutely. I have 13 nieces and nephews, and they um, are just full of ideas. And so often when I'm at a family gathering, 
I've got a little scrap of paper because I'm writing down things that the kids are saying because they're so fun and entertaining. Well, I'm so glad to hear that, Carl, because as a book reviewer, we we only we have kids only that review kids' books, except for the little ones when they're little, the parent has to help. But a lot of times what I'm finding is that our kids are the first ones to even see that book as a child, you know, for kids. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, well, as you know, and I'm sure you've experienced this a lot, kids are honest, and they'll tell you exactly what they think. Yep. And if they don't like a book, they will tell you. And yep. a lot of times the authors are surprised, actually sometimes get they get really angry at that child because mm-hmm. the child doesn't like the book, period. And so I'm really happy to hear that you actually engage the children, you listen to them, and... You know, you create what they want. Uh, that's a real gift. Well, it's it's the objective, at least, and it's it's always surprising to have um, kids indicate their favorite, and it's not usually the one that I would think would be their favorite. So it's fun to to get that feedback. Ebooks. That seems to be a big thing right now. I know that you do print books, but do you also do ebooks? I do. You know, it's funny. I just at the beginning of this year uploaded. My first ebooks, and immediately ebook sales outpaced print book sales. And that's the national trend for all books now that ebook sales outsell print books. Um, and so that they're very important. They've been a huge part of um, getting my work out there to more and more readers. So I'm trying to visualize you know, a print book, and so the child holds the print book, and they can do the flips or the flaps or pull-outs or whatever, or uh, there just seems to be more, you know, action to mm-hmm. a, a print book. So what about e-books, though? You can't do all that. So they have to be actually written differently, too, with different yes, activities, would they not? Um, yes, but most most picture books or most storybooks you can adapt. As an ebook, the the wonderful thing about this digital age is there are infinite options as to how you can present a book digitally, because um, you know you can have still shots of the images that they go through one by one, or you can add um, little animated features so that there's something moving on each page, or you can and of course add narration, your voice to it, or music, but. I've seen books now, um, competition is getting stiff because there are books now that go as far as having actual animation and interactive. They're interactive to the point where the child can uh, change what happens in the story and change what direction um, the dog is running or or what happens when you open the door. And so um, the possibilities are are endless. Wow. Um, I'm impressed. They're almost, it sounds like maybe... Sometimes the digital books could be better than the print books, in, in, you know, it, in that respect. It's getting that way. My one fear is that they'll be so uh, animated that, um, that the text will not be important. And it's so important that children get opportunities to read text. I mean, it's great to have things move on the page, and, and I say more power to them for doing that. But if the text gets overwhelmed or ignored because of the bells and whistles, then um, we have a huge problem in our country with children who don't read. That's a very good point, uh, Carl. I was just going to ask you, I mean, I've actually gotten bids from people that turn books into apps for your iPhone and Android, 
and your iPad and so on. How have you gone very far in that direction? I've only uploaded my stories um, as ebooks on the standard platforms, you, you know, uh, Kindle and Nook, um, and Smashwords.com will get you your, your book onto most platforms. I am just in the process of investigating flash presentations, adding sound to my own narration, music. Those are things that I, I want to add as a priority. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's that's great. I was just surfing over on your site there, and you've got the uh, donate books to charities directly. That's a really super idea, and you've got them all listed out. You can just click on it, I guess, right? Right. There's some great organizations on the donate page um, that we donate to. Um, you know, books can, can help ease trauma, and there's so much trauma in the world for children. So we try to get our books into as many hands as we can. Yeah, that's just great. Let's talk for a minute um, about the bilingual aspect. How did you get interested in that? And did you grow up in a bilingual household, or just how did you get started? I sort of that? did. Yeah, um, it's interesting. My mother um, was—I'm uh, Swedish, by the way—Swedish, <laughs> oh. English, American. But my mother um, studied Spanish and and loved to speak it. So growing up, she called me Carlos, and she would speak Spanish phrases to me, but like like the average kid who grows up in a for example a Mexican American home their parents may speak to them in Spanish but the kids don't necessarily learn it but what happened for me was i i served an LDS mission uh to South America so i lived in South America for a couple of years and that's where i learned that's where i really learned my spanish and so yeah coming home with the stories i just thought yeah this is a great opportunity to broaden the audience for my books um, and also help people to learn another language and that's how the bilingual books came to be yeah i imagine there must be some uh, distributors for that specialize in, in spanish and bilingual books i have a couple of titles but i haven't been very aggressive on it you you don't do anything different marketing wise i do um and it's it's a learning process because, for example, some educators and districts, school districts, prefer to have uh, Spanish-only text for their uh, dual language immersion or for their Spanish classes. And so what we've done is we've created our um, stories. Like, like you mentioned, the 21 titles. The reason I have 21 titles on Amazon is um, not that there are 21 different stories, but that several of my books are available in English-only or Spanish-only or bilingual. And then, of course, marketing bilingual books. Again, that's that's the ongoing challenge: is finding those Latino groups, finding um, uh, ESL organizations that teach English as a second language, or the or those organizations that teach Spanish, and finding ways to reach them with these offerings as curriculum. Right. Yeah, I don't know whether this enters the children's market, but when I was looking at ad adult books, there was some pretty diverse uh, regional differences in the Spanish language. Uh, and yes. you had to kind of stick your your stake in the ground on one of those. Can you talk about that? Or Yes, that's an excellent, excellent question because um, I consider myself practically fluent in Spanish, but I still have a native Spanish-speaking editor um, review my text um, for just that reason of the, the different um, movismos, we say, um, different uh, vernacular in different regions because sometimes you can have a swear word in your story and not know it. So uh, <laughs> I usually have <laughs> I usually have a couple of different um, Latino or Hispanic people review 
the stories to make sure that the word is the most common usage of the word. And yes, sometimes you just have to to pick one and stick with it. But as long as it's not an offensive word, you're safe that way. Right. I imagine. I mean, amongst all the dialects, there's enough common that you can just stick to the the main things they have in common. Um, let's talk a little bit about the production of the books themselves. I've had a, a bit of a problem with that because, you know, I've been doing print-on-demand and the, the prices for doing color books on print-on-demand are just, I end up having to put list prices up near 19 and $20. And, yes. and people tell me that, you know, above nine ninety-five, people won't budge for, for children's books. What's your experience with that? You know, I have had the same concern. Um, I was worried that the prices would be prohibitive, and it's and it's not a price that I choose. It's the price that um, Amazon or the company that's printing the print-on-demand book decides. But again, like you said, it's very expensive to print a, col- a full four-color book. Um, what I found was a couple of things. One is, uh, at least for my bilingual books, people are willing to pay a little bit extra. Um, but the other thing that's nice about print-on-demand is you can get an idea of the demand for your book. And based on sales, you can also um, do your own printing. And so I've done printing, of course, here in the U.S. and then also in China where it's very affordable. But I don't recommend that as the first step. I think um, an author should get their titles up as e-books, as print-on-demand books, and engage how they do get you know get a feel for the demand, and then if there is a demand, go ahead and print your own run of books, and that way you can sell them at more affordable prices directly, and, and you can also keep more profit yourself. Right, right. I think I should have asked this earlier, but is, is there like associations of homeschool educators and stuff that you can, you know, you can reach the parents on a, a wider scale, but across a bigger geographical area than you can, you know, by school visits and. There are, um, and I wish I had some to, to just off the top of my head to name to you. I haven't focused on homeschooling as much. I, I'm my, my plan is to get my books into more homeschooling organizations. But yes, um, of course, there's also the Independent Publishers Association. That's the, um, the IBPA. So that's um, that will have lots of resources for you. But yes, if you specifically Google homeschool organizations or associations, you can probably find several. Right, right. And if we uh, come up with any, we can put some on our site after the after the interview is up. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, okay, uh, Irene? Uh, yes, uh, Carl, I was going to ask you, uh, now I'm looking at your website, and it, it looks like actually you, you, and I think we introduced you as such that you own your own company, publishing company. Yes. So I, you're... It's a traditional self-publishing company, really. It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? But um, but talk about um, your experience as someone that has created their own publishing company. It's been a a very interesting ride, I'll tell you, because I um, hadn't planned on being an author until I was old and retired. (laughs) But uh, I was fortunate here in Utah to um, join a writer's group and, and run into a gentleman who had published uh, a children's series on Crazy Horse. And he said, I'll publish your book. Um, he, I'd shown him some manuscripts, and he um, chose a book and, and prepared it. We got it all ready for publication. The day we were going to print, he passed away. And so I got a crash course in publishing and marketing. Um, I've had one other book published by an outside publisher, but the rest I, I've done myself. 
Okay, and uh, you're certainly happy with that, obviously, because you've already um, done, was it 21 titles? So, you know, my, so obviously you're happy with being a self-published uh, author? You know, for a long time there's been a debate in the publishing world, you know, which is better, get a, mm-hmm. get a big ha- publishing house or do it yourself. And this year, in my mind, self-publishing has definitely won, <laughs> won the argument um, because you, there are so many uh, tools now available online, and um, publishers haven't typically been easy to work with for content issues. You know, they always have the, the last say often. Mm-hmm. And in the marketing, of course, and in choosing the illustrator and all of those control things, and of course um, revenue, they you know the the profits were in their hands for the most part. You're right. So, it's certainly changing, and uh, like you say, it's just so much easier now. And self-publishing is more accepted now too, it just mm-hmm. in the industry general. Now, so obviously, when you um, have your own company, there's no need to uh, find an agent because you're not looking to put your book into a, a larger publishing company then? Well, that's a, I guess that's the next issue for debate. I don't have an agent yet myself. However, I'm finding that as I get inquiries outside of the United States about um, my books, that I am feeling more and more that I need at least an international agent, someone who has contacts in these other countries and can vouch for the legitimacy of certain companies Mm-hmm. because, of course, um, I haven't been to China or India yet. And so um, I, I definitely feel the need to get a, a literary agent, at least for the international market. I can understand that that would certainly be uh, a necessity because of, I, I mean, you know, we're global now. And your books, of course, being that they're bilingual, can go not only, you know, into uh, the United States, but any Spanish-speaking country, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, into any country, if you, I assume that if you get a good agent with the right connections, they can arrange for translation into any language and publication. Good. So, uh, Carl, your website address. We've been talking about your website, but we haven't told our listeners where you are. (laughs) It's premiobooks.com. So it's P as in Paul, R E M as in Mary, I O books.com. Premiobooks.com. Thanks a lot, Carl. We, I, we really do appreciate you taking the time and talking to us and to our audience and just kind of giving an insight on publishing and selling activity books. This is something that I know many people are interested in, want to write children's books, and now they just have a few more steps. And listeners, please do check out Carl. He's in premiobooks.com, and uh, it's a great website. There's all kinds of things going on, and all his books are there. Thank you both. It's been a great pleasure. And I just wanted to say how impressed I am with uh, with the reviews that you do, as you mentioned, done by children. I think that's a, a really fun idea. Thank you. Well, I think it's important. Um, I'm really an advocate of children writing children, the reviews because the books are written for them. They're not written for the parent mm-hmm. or the teacher or whomever. They are written for the child, and the child has the final say. Yep. Yeah. Okay, this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, the 2011 
Publishing and Marketing Roundtable with special guest Tyler Tischler. Uh, it will be sort of our informal fifth anniversary as well. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas, saying goodnight. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening. Good evening.